0: As you're being seen, go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. And you can uh, start making your way to Judges chapter 10, or page 281, if you need a Bible and, and you're using the Bibles there on the chairs in front of you underneath you, page 281. And so I want to talk this morning, as you're turning into Judges chapter 10, I want to talk about when grace gives way to convenience. But specifically, when that happens as we're relating to God. So when we relate to God, what happens when grace gives way to convenience? So Judges chapter ten or page two hundred eighty one, and, and here's where I'm going this morning, so that way no one gets gets lost along the way in relating to God. Don't let grace give way to convenience. That's straightforward. But we're gonna have to unpack that this morning. So let me let me start with this. Have you ever had had a, a project deadline? or an assignment that was due. Uh, maybe you, uh, you you weren't on time for this project deadline and this assignment was coming up and you hadn't been doing the work and, and now it's due the next morning. Or maybe you, you're hoping for a good year of crops or a good sell at the auction. And, and, and as you're going into this, uh, the high pressure moment of this, it's the, the last hours of the project or the assignment before it's due. It's the last hours, you know, before the sale at the auction or as you're you're kind of going through the year with, with your crops have you found yourself uh, uh, wanting to go to God, asking Him to bless uh, your crops or your assignment or your project or to, to just get you through this, but then you realize, I don't know if I can do that because I haven't, I haven't turned to God recently or I haven't been praying to Him like I should or I haven't been going to church like I should or I've been withholding my money and I haven't been given, so why would God do that? And so you think of something like that and then you think, okay, well, but I need to get out of this mess. Just this one right here. God, if you just will get me out of this one, if you'll just help me get this assignment done and, and let it pass. If you'll just let me get this project done or God, if you'll just give me a good year in the crops, or if you'll just let this cell go well. Then after this, God, then I'll start doing things differently. Then I'll start being better at going to church or praying or or giving my money when I'm going or whatever the case may be. And so what you start to do is you start to bargain with God. You see, what happens in that moment, and I do that, I've done that, and, and what happens in that moment is I, you, we go to relating to God in convenience. I've got something I need to get done. I've got something that I want. Something that I desire. And then so God becomes just someone we use. Something we use a term to. Like a tool. We manipulate them accomplish whatever it is we want to do. See, that would be relating to God based on convenience. But grace, you see, grace is something that's unearned. Grace is, is where God has done everything and we do nothing. And, and God has done everything through His Son. He has, he has Purchased us and he has adopted us as children call us sons and daughters when we place our trust in Christ. And it's not because of anything we've ever done, it's not because God looked and said, Hey, you look good, or you're performing well right now, or you've got some great things ahead of you, and, and so I'm gonna bring you into my family. God doesn't do it like that. And, and when you go and you consider how God has adopted us, we weren't the cutest kids in the adoption home. We were the snot-nosed stinky ones with the dirty fingernails and the messed up hair that everybody looks over and instead goes to the more presentable ones. But God when he adopts us in as his sons and daughters after sending Christ to die for us he picks the snot-nosed, ugly kid with nails that are so dark and dirty that it's like the dirt's coming out as an extension of the nail and he says you just as you are. Yeah, but I want that one right there. Well, do you, do you want him cleaned up? No, 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 I'll do that. Don't worry. Well, what about his finger? No, 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 I'll, I'll take care of that. That's great. It's not earned. And when you relate to God based on grace, you come knowing, God, you know it all. You, you know I didn't prepare for that assignment. You know I didn't. I didn't uh, do well on on getting ready for this project you. You know that over the years I've not really been turning to you except for when it's convenient. And instead of relating to God as a matter of convenience, we've got to learn to operate in grace. God, you know, bless my crops is a great, a great prayer. God, bless the cell, absolutely. God, help me get through this. But we've got to, we've got to understand that God does not bend to our will. God doesn't, does it bend to whatever it is we want and we can't manipulate them? So I unpacked that early on because what I want you to see as we go through is we're going to see some examples, some patterns where people relate to God as a matter of convenience as opposed to grace.
1: Now if you're, if you're new to
0: um, the Bible this morning, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning, let me give you a fair warning. This is one of the hardest passages in the Bible, uh, in the Bible to understand. And it's one of the hardest ones as you consider God. But I'm really glad you're here this morning if that's you. Because what you're going to hear and see in it is maybe it's going to correct the way you think about God and that many people think about God. And maybe if you've grown up in the church but you've never heard this story, it's going to shock you to no way that it's even in the Bible. And so we've got some work to do here. So let, let's, go, let's, let's look at it. And relating to God, don't let grace give way. To convenience and so here's our cycle've we've been we've been keeping this in front of us because it's important to understanding the book of judges and how it unfolds and so you remember it starts with God's people rebel Israel rebels they, they chase after other gods they worship other gods and as a result God pays them what they've earned he pays them back what they what they are owed the, the restitution for their uh, chasing after other idols is usually what God will raise up their enemies and that's based on a covenant he had made with them going into the land. He had said to them, look, if you get in the land and you obey me, I'm going to bless you. You'll have crops. Everything will be good. Your enemies will leave you alone. But if you don't obey me, then, then I have to exercise my justice. And so God will raise up the enemies of Israel. Those enemies will oppress Israel. At some point, Israel gets tired of the oppression. Sometimes that's 20 years. Sometimes that's eight years. And then in the future, we're going to see they don't actually even get tired of it anymore. And then if they do get tired of it and they call out, then usually we see God responding." and great. And he, he raises up a deliverer. That's why the, na- the name of the book is called Judges. He raises up a judge, someone who he will use to overthrow the enemies that are oppressing Israel, and then it moves usually Israel into a time of rest and revival. As we get more toward the end of the book, we're not going to see the, the tail end of the cycle very often. But I bring it back because we need to see it, uh, and remember, and we're going to see some of it here this morning. So let's take a look. First we're going to look at Chapter 10 there, the end of chapter 10, starting in verse 6. And we're going to first see the way that the people, the people of Israel, the way they relate to God. So let's take a look at t- uh, chapter 10, verse 6. The Israelites, again, did evil in the Lord's sight. I'm going to stop in there because I told you, every time this comes up in our passages, I'm hitting this. Because it says the, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And we have got to get it, and we have got to grasp and understand that what is right And what is wrong is not determined by what you and I think, by what you and I feel. It's determined by who God is. It's based off of his character, which is why it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. In the next stories that we get to in the life of Samson, it's going to say it a little differently. It's going to say, because she was right in his eyes. And as we get more toward the end of the book, it's going to say there was no king in those days, so everybody did what was right in their eyes. We live in a time where we all are surrounded and maybe even operate as if we get to determine what's right and wrong. We, we determine what's evil and what's not and usually we'll base that off of, well, someone else uh, is, is doing this and they're not a bad person or I look up to them and so this can't be evil or hey, the government has decided that this is right and so therefore it must be right. I mean, 50 states can't be wrong or the Supreme Court can't be wrong, right? And so we start to use different gauges what we think is evil, but the only one and true gauge that we should be using to determine what's right and what's wrong is God's character. What God has revealed in and So the, the, the indictment against Israel is they did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, Israel would look around the people that they were living among. You know, the people who were worshiping many different gods and they were sacrificing maybe kids to different gods, and, and they were doing things in worship of those gods that just aren't good. You know, they might be tempted to look around and go, yeah, but we're a lot more of a moral person. You know, we're a moral, more of a moral nation than, than those nations. Or our history is a lot better. I mean, look at our history, Israel could say. Our history is that we were delivered out of Egypt by God. We are founded on, uh, they would maybe say, good Jewish principles. Today we would say good Christian principles. And so they could be tempted to say, so therefore, what we do is right, or we are in a position to determine what's right. But again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's the one and only standard that we can go to to determine what's right and wrong. When you and I start to determine what's right in our own eyes, well, you know what that's like. All right, so then jump down there. They worship all these other gods from different nations. They abandoned the Lord and did not worship Him. Verse 7, the Lord was furious, so... Verse 6 gets the first part of our our cycle. Rebellion, verse 7, gets the next part where God gives restitution. So the Lord was furious with Israel and turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites. Two different countries now God is turning them over. And remember, this is an act of justice on God's part. This is God uh, exercising His justice towards sin. He can't let sin be swept under the rug. He can't let people who are called by His name, who represent Him, get away with sin. Because then what does that say about God's character? We see, sin must be judged, and so each time that God raises up a nation, He's doing it out of His justice, and His justice is tied to His love, because if He had not done that, it's likely His people would never know how enslaved to sin they had become. And I said this too, each time we talk about this, you know, we don't, we don't see God doing this as often, or if He is, we're not aware of it, because we don't have the, the perspective of history like we have in this case. But here's what's different, too, that we have to consider. You know, as, as Christ comes and, and he lives a, a perfect life, a righteous life, which is something we were supposed to be able to do if we were going to be in a relationship with God, we couldn't do it, but Christ came, Jesus came, he did that. Then he dies in the place of guilty people, that's me and you, and he's an innocent person, he didn't deserve to die. And, and he did that so that he would take the punishment of our sin, so that God's justice for sin, your sin, my sin, the sins of, uh, of all the people of the world, but that, that, that he would take the just punishment for that. God did not sweep anything under the rug. He justly has dealt with sin in Christ. And, and so now he's able to freely uh, offer to us salvation. He's able to freely offer to us an invitation to join his family. But it's not because he has changed who He is. It's not because He's any less just than He was in the Old Testament. And it's not that He's any more loving now in the New Testament. He's the one and the same God. The difference is the promise that has been made because of Christ. And so He raises up these nations. Israel. Uh, these nations, they, they ruthlessly, ruthlessly oppress the Israelites. Uh, that 18th year, that is, all the Israelites living east of the Jordan in Amorite country in Gilead. Verse 9, the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight with Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel suffered greatly. And then it's out of this suffering that verse 10 comes. And now here's the bottom of that cycle where, where, where Israel cries out. The Israelites cried out for help to the Lord. And they said this, we have sinned against you. We abandoned our God and worship the Baals. And you know, that sounds really good. They're acknowledging they sin. sinned. They're even giving a name to their son. I don't know about you, but when I'm asking my kids and, and teaching them uh, that they need to go and apologize, that they need to go and repent for what they did, they don't get away with general apologies. They've got to get specific. What did you do to disrespect mom or dad? What did you do to hurt your sister? Let's name it. Let's not keep it in generalities. Because what we do when we keep things generalities, you go to God and you say, God, i sin yeah, but if there's a specific one you're aware of, it's a whole lot easier for you to say, God, I've sinned. Because then you just kind of group yourself with everybody else. But we're all sinners. But before God, before mm-hmm. the one holy God, He knows every single thing in our hearts. He knows every single decision we've ever made, every thought we've ever uh, thought. And here we lay before Him, and we think that we can kind of gloss over some of the specifics. It's necessary for our own heart. Before God, to be able to say, God, I sin and I worship idols. Here's my idol. That's what they seem to be doing. But verse 11, look what the Lord says to the Israelites. He says, did I not deliver you from Egypt, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, Amalek, and Midian when they oppressed you? You cry out for help to me and I delivered you from, the, from their power. So now God's starting to rehearse with them uh, and the history they've had with them. Look, look, this is a pattern he's saying. He's saying, we've been here before. I, I've delivered you from all these people. You might recognize some of these names from the book of Judges. Egypt goes back to the book of Exodus where God brought them out of slavery. And he says, isn't that what I did for you? Ha- haven't I delivered you before? Verse 13. But Since you abandoned me and worshiped other gods, I will not deliver you again. You see, he's saying, look, I see right through you. You've been here before. You've said this before. We've been doing this for decades, maybe even centuries at this point, where you have gotten yourself into a pickle. Now you're experiencing the consequences of your sin. You've got the oppression of your enemies. I've seen you, God says, cry out before, and and then I give you a deliverer. I raise up a judge. They deliver you. You enjoy the rest that I've provided for you. You enjoy the revival. But as soon as that judge is dead, then you just pull those idols right back out. God says, I've seen you do this time and time again. You see, God's mercy may be without limit when it comes to who it can reach. No one's beyond God's mercy. God's mercy extends to every person, every type of person. There's nothing that you've done that God's mercy cannot cover. But we find that God's mercy has a limit when it's being taken for granted. God will not be taken for granted. It's not good for you and it doesn't reflect Him. And so here's what we see Him doing with Israel. Look, we've been there before. I'm not convinced that what you're saying to me now is genuine. I think it's looks of it. and how many of us have been in that same spot, God, just get me out of this one. Just get me out of this one, God, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn my life over to you. It gets you out of it, you show up in church for the next couple of weeks, and you pull back. And then you start going back to what's possible, what's convenient. It kind of reminds me of a, uh, of the uh, my husband and wife, where maybe the husband's abusing the wife, and the wife just has been taking it for years and years and years, and finally just kicks now. out. That's it, we're done. I'm, I'm not going to talk with this anymore. And then the husband comes back and, no, 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 please, please forgive me, God. Please, please, baby, come on. You, you know I love you. You, you know I, 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 I didn't mean to hurt you. You know, I, I'm going to do better. What do you want me to do? You the with them. You see, God sees right through that. Okay, so you've been here before. I won't deliver you again. So he says, verse 14, go and cry for help to the gods you have chosen. You've been chasing after them. You think they can provide you what you want? Why don't you go and put them to the test now? Why don't you go and call to the ones you've been worshiping rather than turning to me when things get too hard? And, and how many of us, again, that's what we do. God, we're, we're worshiping at the, at the feet of idols, and we're chasing after things that we're shaping our life around, but then, man, we can't, we can't get out of this one. Whatever I've been chasing after, it can't get me out of this one. My money can't buy me out of this one. The relationship I was in, it didn't get me out of this one. You know, the job I have now that I've been working towards, I, it can't get me out of this one. And then we turn back to God. God says, no, 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 go back to what you've been trusting in. Why don't you go put that to the test? Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament, Paul talks about something similar, where, where people start worshipping idols, and they were creating images in the, in the, in the form of creation, and they were worshipping the creation rather than the creator. And Paul tells us at one point, God just says, you know what? Go. No. You want to worship those? You want to chase after those? No. And he gives us those to the after them as a judgment. Because he knows you won't find what you're looking for. They can't deliver. But go. And it seems like that's what he's doing here. Verse 15.
1: But the Israelites are not done now. They, they, they're, they're, they're like that husband
0: just pleading. They say to the Lord, we have sinned. All right? Look at this line. You do to us as you see fit, but deliver us today. And they threw away the foreign gods they owned and worshipped the Lord. Finally, the Lord grew tired of seeing Israel suffer so much two ways that line can be taken in. One, to the be, they get it from them. They get it, and they repent. They, they, they get it, and they say, Okay, God, we'll accept the consequences of our sin. We just want you. And then they put their guns away. I don't think that's what's going on, though. Because there's another way to understand this. It. And it's like this. God, get me out of this situation, and then do whatever you want later, but just deliver me now. It's like that bargaining moment. God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll turn my life over to you. It it lacks substance. And so when they say, you do to us as, as you see fit, that's like saying, in the future, God. Do whatever you want with us. In the future, why? Because the mindset that relates to God based on convenience is not the balance future it's about get me out of this that I'm in now get me out of this pickle that I've created for myself deliver me from the judgment of this sin and then God do whatever you want because we're not thinking about the future we're not thinking down the road just get me out of it now it's like the husband going back to the wife I'll go to counseling I- I- I'll get help Ooh, we, can- we can go see we can go see someone about this right promises about something he'll do in the future. Just don't walk out of the air. Just stay now. I think that's the going on. And the reason I think that is because if we continue to go through the book of Judges, you're going to see the same cycle continue. It doesn't It doesn't end. And so, here's what we see, though. They threw away their foreign gods they owned wor- they, they, that they owned and they worshipped the Lord. Finally, the Lord grew tired. Still, the Lord is so good. He says, look, I, I'm not going to deliver you and, and, and that's a conditional statement, right? That, that there's a period where he's not going to deliver. And yet here he goes, but you know what? After so long of watching my people suffer, I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to act again. That's how good God is. Not to be taken for granted. Not to be abused. But that's, that's God. So again, if you're here this morning, you, you're new to the Bible, or you don't consider yourself a Christian, I want you to clue into this. This, you might have a, a picture of God where, where God is just always judging and God is squashing joy and squashing happiness but look here, God's people here in the scriptures they're chasing after other gods they're, they're worshiping other gods and God's being tough with them but then he says I, I can't stand saying something and so he acts yet again that's how good God is that's the way the people relate to God they let grace give way to convenience. Get me out of this now, and then we'll worship you later. Do what I want, God, and then I'll do what you want. It's a formulaic way of relating to God. If I do this, and you do that, and it works out great. It's like a contract, except that God doesn't relate to his people based on a contract. He relates to his people based on a covenant. It's a promise that's dependent upon God. It's a promise that says, where God says, look, I'm going to do this because it represents who I am. I'm going to do this because I made promises that I'm going to keep. Now let's take a look at the way the people relate to Jephthah, because as we go into this next section, and we're going to pick it up with chapter 11, verse 1, we start to see uh, this the story unfold, and, and in the way that the people of Gilead relate to Jephthah, it's going to look very familiar to what, to what we just saw. So look at uh, verse 1 of chapter one. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a brave warrior. So we're introduced to this guy Jephthah. He's going to be the next deliverer. His mother was a prostitute, but Gilead was his father. You start to kind of notice the theme as you read through. But Gilead was his father. Verse 2, Gilead's wife also gave him sons. So Gilead, the father of Jephthah has a legitimate wife, and he has sons from them, but then he has a prostitute who gets pregnant, and so now she bears him a son too. So Jephthah is the son of the prostitute, and then yet Gilead's got some legitimate sons as well. That's going to create some tension. When his wife's sons grew up, they made Jephthah leave and said to him, you are not going to inherit any of our father's wealth because you are another woman's son. And yet, this is exactly who God is going to be. But let's keep going. Verse 4. It was sometime after that, so sometime after Gilead's legitimate son kicked Jephthah out, that after this, when the Ammonites fought with Israel. So the pressure's on, the Ammonites come after them. Verse 5, when the Ammonites attacked, look at this, the leaders of Gilead asked Jephthah to come back from the land of Tome. They said, come be our commander so we can fight with the Ammonites. Jephthah said to the leaders of Gilead, but you hated me, and you made me leave my father's house. Why do you want me to come back now when you were in trouble? familiar? When grace gives way to convenience. What happens is, hey, look, you're, you're not going to have any inheritance in our father's family. You can just leave. Kicked out. Outsider. But now the pressure is on. Gilead uh, had, had been coming oppressed by the Ammonites. But Jephthah had been known to become a great warrior. They're asking the question there at the end of verse 10, chapter 10. We didn't look at it, but they say, who is the man that will deliver us? Who should we go and get? Jephthah is introduced. And Jephthah sees right through it. Just like God sees right through the heart of his people as they're coming to him and saying, God, do what you want with us now. Or do what you want with us, but, but deliver us now. He sees right through it. They're coming and saying, hey, look, look. We, we need you to come and deliver us. We need you to come and, and lead us as we go. They're relating now on convenience. And I think what we're seeing as the people of Gilead come to, to relate to Jephthah is it's just a mirror of what we just saw, God's people. They're relating to everyone the same way. And they're relating to the people the same way they relate to God. It's about convenience. I have this issue now. You're someone that I can use. Come and do this so that it gets me what I want. Convenience. But before that, before I got to that spot, I wasn't reaching out to you. Jephthah sees right through. Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Jump down to verse 8. The leaders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That may be true, but now we pledge to you our loyalty. Come with us and fight with the Ammonites. Then you will become the leader of all who live in Gilead. Right. See, Jephthah said, you know, you kicked me out. And they said, yeah, yeah, that may be true. Here comes the bargain. Come back now. We'll make you head. God, 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 if you'll just get to found us out of this now. We're gonna put away those idols. You can do whatever you want with us later. Jephthah, if you come and deliver us now, we will make you the head of this claim. We will make you the head. You get your inheritance back, Jephthah. Convenience. Not grace. Then you'll become leader of the of all who live in Gilead. Verse 9, Jephthah said to the leaders of Gilead, All right. If you take me back to fight with the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. He agrees to the deal. He goes back and uh, he's going to deliver them. then the rest of, the, of that chapter, or the rest of that section there, uh, is Jephthah goes and starts to negotiate with the king. And he, he tries to pursue some peaceful routes. It doesn't work. Now they go to war. So the last section we're going to see is now the way Jephthah relates to God. So we, uh, when, when grace gives way to convenience and we saw the way the people related to God... Then we saw the way the people relate to Jephthah. Now watch the way Jephthah, the deliverer that God's going to use, and I didn't say raise up, the one he's going to use. Watch the way he relates to God. Start in verse 29. Okay, so the Lord's Spirit empowers Jephthah. Nowhere in this story do we see God raised up Jephthah. That language is not here. Jephthah was acquired. Jephthah was pursued. And yet, God's going to still use him. The Lord's Spirit empowered Jephthah. He passed through Gilead and Manasseh and went to Mizpah in Gilead. From there he approached the Ammonites. All right, clue into this now. And, and here's, here's the hardest part of this story. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, saying, If you really do hand the Ammonites over to me, then whoever is first to come through the doors of my house to meet me when I return safely from fighting the Ammonites,
1: he will belong to the Lord, and I
0: will offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. So then Jephthah approached the Ammonites to fight with him, and the Lord handed him over to them. When grace gives way to convenience. Jephthah is not necessarily a God-fearing man. We don't, we don't get that said about him. He's very much influenced by the culture around him, and he even thinks about God the same way that the other nations think about their God. As if he can be appeased. As if he can bend to our will. As if he, he, can, he can do and be persuaded to do what we want him to do. And so Jephthah says in verse 30, If you really do, hand the a over over you. God, if you do this, then I will do this. Where do we get off thinking that we can bargain with God like this? And that's exactly what Jephthah's doing. God, if you will get me through this, then whoever is the first to come through the doors of my house to meet me, he will belong to the Lord and I will offer him as a goat sacrifice. Where did he get that idea that God even wants that? Because he here's what he's saying. God, whoever. Now some people read this and they think, well, no, Jephthah meant to, 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 to take an animal. But he says, no, whoever comes out of my house. Animals were not kept in the house. They weren't like domesticated pets in that day, right? He's talking, if you were going to offer an animal to the Lord, you're talking bulls and goats. You're not talking cats and dogs, right? Little wild He says, whoever comes out of my house to greet me. And you don't talk about animals that way. Well, I mean, we do mean to do right? But, you know, he's not saying, hey, whatever donkey or bull or whatever comes out to greet me first. They're not going to come to greet him. That's language used of a relationship with a person. Whoever comes out of my house to greet me God here's, here's how committed I am God Here, here's, here's what I want you to see how much I'm willing to give up God that person I'll offer as a burnt sacrifice to you he starts to relate to God like God can be appeased God look, look at the, the, the weight and, the, and the, the risk behind my sacrifice and yet God has condemned human sacrifice in his law and if Jephthah knew God's law and if Jephthah had been living according to God's law, he would know God does not endorse human sacrifices. It's an abomination, he says. He says, don't do it. That's what the nations around you do. That's how they relate to their gods. You don't relate to me that way. But Jephthah says, he says, all right, so that's the case. Let's see what happens. We go on. Verse 34, when Jephthah came home to Nispah. so he's had the battle, the Lord hands him over to Jephthah. He wins. There was his daughter hurrying out to meet him, dancing the rhythm of tambourines, She was his only child, except for her. He had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he ripped his clothes and said, Oh no, my daughter, you have completely ruined me. You have brought me disaster. I made an oath to the Lord, and I cannot break it. Jump to verse 39. The daughter basically says to Jeff in between them, Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. I made a vow, but just give me two months to go and mourn, that I'll never get to sleep with a man. Verse 39, after two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. What he vow? God, whoever is the first to come out of my house to greet me, that one I will make as a burnt offering to you. She died as a virgin. Her tragic death gave rise to a custom in Israel. Every year, Israelite women commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, his filial for four days. Alright, so What do we do with that? Jephthah is relating to God based on convenience. God, if you will do this for me, then I'll do this for you. When we start to relate to God based on convenience, when we let grace give way to convenience, we start to do all kinds of tragic, twisted, tormented things. And then we convince ourselves, this is what God wants. This will make God happy. This will be... Uh, pleasing to him. And if this is pleasing to him, then then he will show favor to me. And yet, God has promised to relate to us based on grace. We don't have to win him over. We don't have to perform. How many times have I prayed? How many times have you prayed? And we're hoping that by praying, we're winning God over to our side. If you're in Christ, God is on your side. He delights in you like he delights in his son, and yet we don't relate to him like that. Instead, we relate to him like he's disappointed with us all the time, like he's just waiting to smash us. And so what we start to do is just say, well, because I think God would would be pleased with this, I'm going to relate to him that way. This is what Jephthah does. God, all these other people around me, they offer human sacrifices when they really want something from their God. So God, if you will get me through this, I'm going to do what they do. And he thinks it's right. And he thinks it's good, but notice God never endorses this. He's silent on this. In fact, He's already spoken in His law that it is not to be done by His people. But how can God use someone like that? How can God use someone? I mean, didn't didn't we read earlier that God's spirit came upon him? Sure did. Sure did. And you and I will read that sometimes. And we'll think, well, if God's Spirit's on someone, they are God, uh, a hero to be mimicked and to be, to be modeled after. And, and so then people will then say, well, if Jephthah is God's, God's Spirit, he's got to be operating in every area of his life by God's law or by God's character. And so Jephthah didn't, didn't offer his daughter as a human sacrifice. What they're saying then is he, he gave her to be a perpetual virgin. She was donated to the church. And she was going to serve the temple the rest of her life and she would take in a vow of celibacy. And that's how we kind of massage that. Kind of make it okay. Because it's uncomfortable for us that Jephthah would earn his daughter and God would use some of like that. But here's what you've got to keep in mind. God's spirit in the Old Testament empowers people and it's not a permanent indwelling like it would be as you read in the New Testament for people who trust in Christ. God's spirit comes upon people to empower them to do something that will accomplish God's plan or will. And and God's spirit coming upon someone is not, one, an endorsement of that person's character. So just because God's spirit uh, empowers someone or uh, clothes someone is sometimes the way we've, we've seen it, does not speak to that person's spirituality. Just because God is using his spirit to empower someone and to direct and guide them does not mean that person is spiritually mature. It's like this. In the New Testament, we talk about spiritual gifts, and we talk about fruit of the Spirit. God gifts you the moment you place your trust in Christ, and those gifts can be lived on, operated on, and even effective. And yet, your life may be bearing no spiritual fruit. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it. Evangelists come to town. People seem to be coming to Christ at the drop of a hat. And then you get behind the scenes with the guy, and you're like, what? I remember the first time that happened. There was a guy who was the worship leader and he was singing, and he was leaving worship, I was in college, I get over to his house, backwards and the things I'm hearing coming out of his mouth, the way I'm hearing him talk, I'm going, and I'm not just talking about pressing, by the way. I'm just listening to his heart, and I'm going, wow. And you were just leaving us in worship, and it seemed effective. See, God's gifting, his spirit's gifting, can be effective. Even though the person's not bearing spiritual fruit, the things are different spiritual fruit is what comes out of your life as you submit to the spirit and as you live your life in submission to the spirit and the spirit of God works in you and cuts away things and, uh, from you that don't need to be there and then lives through you and helps you to do things that you can't do on your own but God's gifting, he just gives to you and it's supposed to be used to, to, to edify and to, to, to encourage the church and what we see happening in the Old Testament is something similar to that God has gifted a person, he's empowered them, he's strengthened them but it doesn't mean that that person's character matches. It did early on in the book. Othniel, the ideal judge. But ever since then, we've found that the people that God has used to deliver his people are deeply, deeply flawed. And it only gets worse in the next couple of weeks. One of our greatest heroes, you're going to find, is the deepest flaw. And yet it points us to this. God raised up the deliverer who had no flaws. God raised up Jesus, his deliverer, who would bring about deliverance that was permanent and lasting. And God, uh, God uses Jesus, and Jesus willingly submits to the Spirit. There's no uh, disconnect between Jesus' character and what he does. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus came and he lived the righteous life. He showed his character in the way he lived. And then the innocent man, Jesus, dies in the place of the guilty. You and me. And he raises from the dead, overcoming sin and death. And now because of that, God's able to extend an invitation to us to say, trust in him. You can't do what he did. He did it for you. That's grace. Trust in him. There's so many of us who want to relate to God based on communion. I can't just trust in him. It doesn't make sense. I've got to trust in him. Sure, I'll get that part done. But what else can I do? Nothing. You're the snot-nosed kid with dirty fingernails, and you stink, and God says, I want you as you are. And I'll clean you up once I bring you home. I'll clean you up once he is part of my family. Grace. Don't relate to God in a way that lets convenience come When it comes to living to God, don't let grace give way to convenience. And so somebody this morning, if you read the Bible you don't consider yourself a Christian, here's what I want you to see. You may be thinking that that's what God wanted you to do, perform, to win him over, to be good enough. And here's what you see this morning. No, you can't. And he doesn't want you to be. He did it. He did everything that's required. And he just says, come, trust in me, trust in what I did through Jesus. And then the way we relate to God after that is the same way we get saved, by grace. It's not that we get saved by grace and then we start you know, adding all the stuff to our life. No, no, you continue to submit your life to God and you respond to His grace. Not try to win Him over because I haven't been in church for a while. I haven't given enough. Oh, I forgot to tie up off of that. Tax you know, check that I'm going to get away well. That doesn't want your sacrifice. You made it. It just says, relate to me in grace. That, that's how we did it. So, Father, we need you to help us do that because, you know, even though your Spirit can come and make us new, and even though your, your, your Word reveals to us that you are God of grace, we can't help ourselves. We want to do something. And even if, God, you're not putting your judgment on us because it's already been put on Christ, we can't handle that, and so we put judgment on us. And we try to carry a guilt and a weight. It's not ours to carry. Christ already did it. And so then, God, we immobilize ourselves. And all the while you're saying, would you just get up? Would you just go and live and operate in my grace? I did this for you already. I love you. I delight in you. Stop trying to win me over. I've already done it. God, we're more contented to sit because it makes us feel better. It gets us what we want. We give a God, to to you based on so convenience in our place. God, this morning, if there's some who they, they've never trusted in Christ, God, this morning, when you show them, you're not asking them to clean up their lives. You're not asking them to quit smoking. You're not asking them to quit dipping. You're not asking them to quit anything that they're doing at this point. All you're saying is, I died for you. You can come to me just as you are. And the rest, you will take care of. God, we so often want to clean ourselves up first, make ourselves presentable. How would you release them of that burden this morning and show them your grace so that they can trust in Christ? And be an this you, Jesus Amen. Well, hey, uh, if you're visiting this morning, if it's your first visit, I'd love to say hello, if you have a minute. After we dismiss here in just a second, we exit these doors, hang a light, and uh, I'll meet you down by the couches. And if you have any questions along the way, uh, we'd love to answer those for you. All right? If you're able, please stand, and we will dismiss. Your God gives so generously and abundantly. So depart from here and prepare to go and give big blobs of handfuls of the good candy tomorrow. And do it so that you represent your God. And if you're not doing that, then just go and give something generously. And do it because that's what God does. Do In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.